0: The brood in america the podcast that delves into and falls in love with american culture every single week thank you so much for tuning in again this week i am very excited for today's show we are going to introduce a new series of episodes on a series of topics specifically on Christianity in America and how Christianity shaped America, the culture, the policies, the procedures, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, everything that we know about life. As Theodore Roosevelt said, if we were to remove the Bible and Christianity from it, you would not recognize it at all. So we are going to spend the next couple of weeks diving into that and really getting a grasp on how Christianity has shaped American culture. But now... All right, today's drip comes from Queens, New York, and there's a couple of ways you can determine that it is from Queens, New York. One of which is looking at the bag and looking at the bottom of the the bag, and it says that it is brewed in Queens, New York. The other way that you can tell is the name of the coffee is called Holler Mountain. Now, anybody outside of the city will tell you that that is an oxymoron. A holler is not a mountain, and a mountain is not a holler. A holler is a valley, but What we know is that this coffee is really, really, really good. Now, I can't speak to their politics, mainly because they are based in Queens, New York, and there are several locations, for example, in Portland, Oregon, and I can only assume that it is probably not in Chaz, because Chaz is defunct. But this coffee is not defunct. This coffee is really good, politics aside. And to be completely honest with you, there is no sign of politics on their website. I can only assume by their location, but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about loving America and loving coffee, and this coffee is great and brewed in America. So, if you are sipping some coffee this morning, I can assure you it's not as good as this one, unless it's one that we've talked about in the past on the show, then it could be. But this one has a little bit of a caramel flavor to it, but it is also... Floral. Uh, it has a very floral taste to it, which we've we've had similar coffees, I guess, before on the on the show that tasted you know a little bit floral, a little bit caramel. But uh, this one in particular is it's a it's just a different coffee. I don't know how to I don't know how else to say it. There's only so many ways you can describe coffee, I guess. But floral and caramel and really well roasted, um, probably a little bit liberal. It does taste a little liberal. You know, Queens, New York. But you know, there's there's worse things you can say about coffee, I, I guess. Maybe. Mmm, that is really good. And being a city coffee in an international farm all mug adds a little bit different element to it. Ah. Right. Well. Today's topic, as mentioned in the intro, we are going to provide a little bit of insight into where America's founding, where its foundation comes from, where Christian principles, or rather how Christian uh, principles have shaped the culture and shaped the country and how the society that you and I enjoy and love and respect, hopefully, uh, how that was shaped and how that came about and who is responsible for bringing that about. Now, of course, we've talked at length on the show about the founding fathers like John Adams and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, um, but they, while they are founding fathers, they are sort of, you know, in many respects, standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, people that had been studying this stuff and 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 challenging society for, you know, really and truthfully, 300 years before 1776. And so, we're going to kind of spend the next several weeks going over this in detail and how it came about, uh, and hopefully wrap this up right in time for Independence Day on July 4th. So, uh, to just kind of start and give you some background uh, and and who we have to credit the very beginning of American, what I'll call doctrine or theology, uh, comes... From Uh, Not coincidentally, I guess, from Martin Luther, but also another man who, there's, uh, you know, 500 years after his existence, still remains probably, probably the most controversial figure in. Uh, in religion, small r and capital R today, and that is John Calvin. Now, John Calvin had some really far out weird beliefs on salvation, so I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what he wrote uh, regarding civil policy and political policy. He lived in Geneva, Switzerland, he was born in France, but quickly thereafter moved to uh, Geneva, Switzerland. His parents moved there, and as a result uh, of his interest in theology and in- interest in uh, the Bible, as weird as some of his beliefs were, he did have some very interesting and I think uh, worthwhile opinions on government and the- and um, you know civil policy. Uh, and so, you know, as a result of his interest in that, he was a very influential in Switzerland's government and was also um, a magistrate, if you will, an official in in Switzerland for a little bit. Uh, and so, he did spend a lot of time writing on that. So, with him, Martin Luther, again, is another one. John Wycliffe, John Locke, uh, who, of course, was from Scotland. A lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting people. This, of course, is around the 1500s, 1550, 1570, 1580, something like that. And so uh, there's, there's many, many people that we can credit for giving birth to the foundations of freedom, the ideas of liberty, and the fact that uh, – you know challenging the idea of a papacy – or a pope, you know, a one figure running an entire sect of Christianity, or one figure pl- claiming to be God, or claiming that he speaks on behalf of God. These men, you know, however crazy some of their beliefs may have been, they were some among the first to challenge that idea. Uh, And so we're, we credit them with, uh, you know, at least getting the ball rolling on freedom, you know, some 300, 250 years before the United States was actually uh, formed on paper. And so if you go back and look at, you know, okay, Gordon, that all sounds good. That's all, you know, unusual and weird stuff. But what is all that, you know, go into depth a little bit uh, more for me. Well, Back around, I believe it was 1560, 1570, there was a, uh, a really good, good guy named King Henry VIII. And, you know, just to, you know, put a bow on this podcast, I won't keep you around long, which is also coincidentally what Henry VIII said to his first wife. Uh, so, King Henry VIII was married to a woman named Catherine. Catherine was a Scot, and King Henry VIII came to despise Catherine, and King Henry VIII wanted to divorce Catherine, uh, but being that he was Catholic, the Pope forbade it, and the Catholic doctrine forbade it. So, as any reasonable person would, he just started his own church and uh, you know, put in the bylaws of the church that you were allowed to divorce, and lo and behold, he got divorced. That church that he started, we now refer to as the Church of England, and those who are members of the Church of England, we all call Anglicans, Um, but eventually what happened is King Henry VIII, after starting this church, he eventually died, and who assumed the throne after him? Well, none other than his, I believe it was his daughter or his granddaughter, Mary. Uh, If you've ever heard the term Bloody Mary, that is where that name comes from, is King Henry VIII's offspring, Mary. Mary was a staunch Catholic and hated, hated, hated Anglicans. So much so that in the five short years that she was on the throne, managed to kill no less than about 5,000 Anglicans, which is incredible and really, really sad. But in the midst of that tragedy, the Anglicans left and went up to Switzerland And as we just said a few minutes ago, who was in Switzerland? John Calvin. Well, after hanging around Switzerland for some time, they, you know, of course, were listening to John Calvin, reading his writings and hearing what he had to say, just being that he was one of the loudest voices in Switzerland at the time. And so they, you know, they had, they heard what he had to say, particularly on the fact that the, there is not one person who can intercede between you and God, only Jesus Christ can do that. He also uh, was one of the people who said – or kind of developed the doctrine of lesser magistrates, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. We might have briefly touched on that in another episode, but uh, we'll get on on that in a minute. To boil down exactly what that is and to be kind of uh, shallow with it, the doctrine of lesser magistrates simply means that if there is something like a king or, in our case, a president, and he's not doing what he needs to be doing, he's not – and he is infringing upon your God-given rights – the officials or the magistrates that are lower than he is, so in our case, governors of states, uh, you know, congressmen, um, you know, supreme court justices, they have a duty and a responsibility to step in and be a stopgap and to prevent tyranny. Now, Calvin took it one step further. He was of the opinion that if even the lower magistrates failed, the people had the right, had the duty and responsibility to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Now, that might sound a little familiar. That is directly out of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, And now, while Thomas Jefferson, I don't think, directly was quoting John Calvin, it is the idea and the sentiment that was handed down for some two, three centuries that made its way into the Declaration of Independence straight out of the hands of a a theologian or a philosopher or however you want to call it, or a falafel, whatever. I'm not sure exactly what that is. So, let's fast forward here. So, the Anglicans, they are in Switzerland. They have these new ideas, and they really like them. They think, hey, this is great. Uh, this is, you know, this is what we've been looking for, and, I, you know, we think that we should be able to reform the Anglican Church and, and make some big changes here. So, after they hear that Bloody Mary has died and has been put in the ground, they leave Switzerland, and they come back to Great Britain. And what do they try to do? They try to reform the Anglican Church or, you know, purify it and make it more holy. Well, if somebody is one who tries to purify, you might call them a Puritan. And as luck would have it, they failed. And they did not make the changes they wanted to make in the Anglican Church. And after those changes were not made effectively, some stayed behind, as they were loyal to the Anglican Church, but others left and Of those that left, they were called separatists. They separated from the Anglican Church and they left and they went and started their own sort of studies uh, now granted they were you know under threat of death from the king at the time the you know the leader of the Anglican Church as well as the Catholic Church was none too happy with them either. So they were under persecution all the time. Now, interestingly, around 1580, 1590, a young man was born by the name of William Bradford. William Bradford was a separatist. Although he was not born a separatist, he was actually born an Anglican. His parents were Anglican, and he had two uncles that were Anglican. And after, uh, you know, getting a chance to read what he could of the Bible himself, you got to remember at this point, the King James Version was not issued or published until 1611. So, at this point, he did not have a Bible, an English Bible. He had bits and pieces of an English Bible, and he also had to learn Hebrew, Latin, and Greek to get the pieces of the Bible that he needed to learn about it, which he did. And he learned those three languages so that he could learn the Bible, And at the ripe old age of 12 years old, he decided that everything that he had been taught about the Anglican church was a flat-out lie, and realized that what his uncles were uh, in and what they taught and what the church believed was not only wrong, but heretic and heretical. And he decided that, you know what, my time is not well spent here, and what I need to do is I need to go join the separatist church down the road where I can worship God as I see fit. And as I believe God has prescribed in his Bible, well, the preacher uh, at the separatist church that he walked to eight miles down the road, uh, he had, I can't remember, I believe his name was, I can't remember his name. I'll mess it up if I, if I try to remember it. I don't remember the guy's name, but he was a preacher and leader of the separatists in Great Britain. And eventually the persecution got so bad they had to leave and they went to Holland it went just a few miles up the road and, you know, walk a few miles and your other brothers wouldn't choose. And you make it all the way to Holland up in the north end of town. And shortly after getting there, the preacher that uh, had led the separatist group was getting somewhat sick. He was getting older. William Bradford was getting, you know, his late 20s and early 30s by this point, And they decided that they were going to make a trip to the New World, to find a place where they could finally worship God as they saw fit. Holland was giving them grief, and Holland, you know, the Hollandese, the Hollandays, I don't know how you say that exactly, the Hollandays in, they were getting a little bit tired of them, and they were trying to push them out of town. And so they decided they were going to make a break for the new world and find a place where they could finally worship God as they saw fit. And so what what happened is the older man would stay behind, and William Bradford was now the new leader. Kind of a Moses and Joshua situation where Moses was not allowed to go to the Promised Land, but Joshua led him through. And so William Bradford, they all hop on what was called the Mayflower, which was one of only a few boats. There was actually several others. The Mayflower was not the first, but probably, uh, I think, without doubt, the most well-known of the, of the ships that carried all the, um, the separatists over. And so, you know, eventually, you know, the Mayflower was a relatively older vessel and was not doing too well. And so by the the time I made it to Plymouth, it had pretty much had it. And I think they actually sent it back to uh, either Great Britain or Holland. I can't remember now which. But uh, after that trip was pretty much toast and it was retired. But after arriving on Plymouth Rock, William Bradford and the other separatists, uh, and there were a few Puritans with them too, I believe – Uh, They set up camp at Plymouth Rock. They actually made landfall at Cape Cod, which if you're looking at a map and you're looking at the United States and you see Massachusetts, you have a little square and a little tip that comes off the side. looks like a little... Um, like if you hold up your right hand and make a C shape with your right hand, that's kind of what it looks like. And they landed right on the tip of your hand. And after realizing that that was not exactly the best place to set up camp, they followed down the coastline all the way to the mainland United States where they set up Plymouth, Massachusetts. And at this point they managed to set up the, what's called the Mayflower Compact, and we're going to get into a lot more detail on this uh, ne- starting next week. I just wanted to kind of give you a quick episode today just to kind of introduce the new direction and the new uh, topic and a new series that'll uh, help us in our foundations. Uh, I guess we could call it Foundations of Freedom or uh, I don't know. We'll think of a name starting next week for it. But uh, this summer, uh, I think the this, this summertime always seems to have been a, a the time for movement in American culture going back to the seventeenth. You know, 1776 and, you know, we have July 4th, 1776 is when the Declaration of Independence signed, uh, is signed June 1775. General Washington was made commander in chief of the Continental Army. So the summertime seems to be the time when things happen in the United States and and changes are made. And so to honor that and kind of make our, our own holiday out of it, we're going to spend the next couple of months going over the foundations of what made this country happen to begin with. And so, hopefully, all that uh, so far has been an interesting introduction. But we'll pick up next week on the Mayflower Compact and go over that covenant that the Pilgrims made with God and, and dedicated and consecrated this continent, uh, as Abraham Lincoln said in the in the or not sorry the Gettysburg Address. And we'll go into detail. There's three doctrines in the Mayflower Compact, uh, as well as a fourth at the end called the Reasons. And it kind of summarizes those three doctrines and explains the why behind it. So, uh, again, relatively short episode today. I really appreciate you being a part of the show and coming and listening to us this week. Don't forget to check out Stumptown Coffee out of Queens, New York, the Holler Mountain Coffee. You will have to grind it yourself. It is worth it. It comes whole bean, and it is a delicious floral light taste for summertime and for spring. Uh, It is, by the way, great cold if you brew it uh, and then put it in the fridge for a little bit. When it gets hot outside and you still want coffee, but you don't want something that's 115 degrees going down your neck, put it in the fridge. It's really good, and as light as this coffee is and as naturally sweet as this coffee is – it does well in the fridge, so don't, don't forget to check them out. You can buy it at Publix. You can buy it at Walmart. Actually, I'm not sure if you can buy it at Walmart. I don't think you can. I actually got my bag at Publix. I believe you can get them at Winn-Dixie. You can get it uh, at just about every major retailer except Walmart because, uh, you know, something about Bentonville, Arkansas doesn't do well with coffee. I don't know what it is. They have very limited selection of They do have Black Rifle and a few others, Jivalia, and I think they might even carry Lavasa now. But anyway, all that's just chatter. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I look forward to next week. We have got a lot to cover over the next two and a half months. So gear up, get your coffee. Also, in the meantime, so where a lot of this stuff is coming from, I uh, have found one of the best books on the American founding that I have ever read, and I it's it's set up well to be a textbook if you're a teacher or you're a Sunday school teacher. Uh, the name of the book is called Proclaiming Liberty Through All the Land by Mark David Hall. It is a great book, and it is it goes into great detail on America's founding and how Christian uh, principles established the United States and established freedom and liberty for all people, not just, you know... Uh, White Americans, white male Americans, the Bible and Christianity uh, is the source of all freedom and liberty. In fact, it calls itself that in several places. So go check that book out at sixteen dollars on Amazon, free shipping. Uh, get it in by you know first thing tomorrow, and spend it a little bit reading it. Um, if you're diligent about it, you can get through it in a couple days. I think I've gotten through half of it in two days. So uh, really, spend some spend a little bit of money on it, and just have it on hand. It'd be great for your kids too. It's not a hard hard book to read. Proclaiming Liberty throughout all the land by Mark David Hall. T- take, go on Amazon, order that. Take a look at it highlight a few things you think are interesting. Until next week, I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Good luck, God bless, and God bless America.